It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. We are back at it, and we have a full boat of people. It is J.C. and Morgan, and we welcome you once again to this fine, fine podcast. J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network, and yes, he is back from uh, different locales on the concert so- tour series, whatever you want to call it. He is Michael Haney. Uh, it's funny. I, in the last calendar year, I've gotten to see both of you in person, even though we do this from three different cities, me in Atlanta, JC in Chicago, and Mr. Haney in the Music City. But uh, JC, I saw you when I was uh, up in Chicago to do a Chicago Bears <clears throat> San Francisco 49ers game on radio. Uh, which was great. Got to see you in the uh, in the misses uh, or future misses, however we're declaring that at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just saw Michael uh, up to do a Vanderbilt Florida basketball game uh, a week and a half ago. Got to hang out with uh, Haney a little bit. Got to do uh, a little see a little bit uh, of of Nashville that I hadn't seen. So uh, very cool that while we're all distant, we still make it work and get a chance to see each other from time to time. Gentlemen, how are you? Absolutely. Good. Well, uh, yeah, I'm doing fine myself. Uh, you mentioned that game. I I think that day after the, the, the Bears beat the 49ers, everybody was like, well, maybe they won't get the number one pick, but alas, yeah. they did. Yeah. <laughs> well, even they won that, that game, one. Yeah, that was the quagmire game, remember? Oh, I mean, terrible, it was a yeah. torrential. I've never seen a game like it. It just rained and rained and rained. And by the end of the game, there's just puddles all over the place and you couldn't um, do much of anything. And that actually worked in Chicago's favor because clearly San Francisco is the most uh, talented team. But, you know, that that game also it, it, it makes me think of today. The NFL draft, I've said this before, I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to NFL draft. JC, it's kind of like, I guess, you with recruiting. Mm-hmm. You still get some juice when it comes to evaluating and predicting and you know, we all like to think we're great general managers. And, and so you get to do that at that level. And then three or four years later, I like to do it from college to pro. I love doing it in really all three sports. And and Fields is a guy that uh, at Ohio State, originally at Georgia, you know, showed signs. He's, I mean, he's physically very gifted and he can run as well as any NFL quarterback. I just don't know to this day if he can throw that well. Uh, and there's all kinds of rumors what Chicago is going to do long term with it. Of course, they did trade the, the uh, or the, they're going to trade the pick is the word, in which yeah. case they would not take Bryce Young. Um, that's the other thing I also mentioned on this podcast. When it gets out how small Bryce Young is, and having stood next to him uh, doing a game in November, it's not the height. I, I could have told you he wasn't quite six feet. It's the frame, and I don't care what they weigh him at. He he's just he's an to use a term uh, I learned back in like high school physiology. He's an ectomorph. He's he's thin boned. Um, it's just a lean frame. It, he's not thick like Wilson or Murray or some of those sub six foot uh, quarterbacks in the past. So anyway, went off on a tangent there, but uh, uh, that got me to thinking about that too because we're going to talk a little of the uh, quarterbacks entering the NFL draft as well. We're going to talk about everything going on in college football. 
Uh, and yes, we'll find a way to talk about Tom Sizemore, who passed away as well. Michael Haney, a huge Tom Sizemore fan, and many people think that he's the next Tom Sizemore on the acting front when he gets done with this whole music thing. Uh, Michael, how are you? I'm I'm doing well, and it was great to see you a couple of weeks ago uh, here in Nashville, and uh, taking you to some parts you'd never never been before, and trying to like understand the layout, uh, yeah, a little bit more, and took you down to uh, Pasco, um, which is just about 15 minutes outside of proper Nashville, and uh, Loveless Cafe, Loveless Cafe, very cool spot, very Loveless Cafe, love those kind type of places. I mean, just historical. I like to use the term joints, but in a good way. There, it's a joint. It's not like a swanky restaurant it it's a joint it's a great breakfast spot um and it's it was a hotel right michael that's or motel it was a roadside motel and they would serve you know passers-by because it was the main road coming through uh between memphis uh, to nashville Uh, it is amazing it, it is amazing and i have a family that's lived in nashville their their whole life and i remember as a kid because i was never a country music person I would be like, you know, why, why don't you guys, why don't you guys move? Like, why don't you just give somewhere else a shot? You know, like enough of this whole thing. You're, you're not into music. You're, you're not walking around in cowboy hats. Um, why don't you try something else? Nashville, it is what it is, but it's not, it's not going anywhere. But boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I mean, Nashville, as we sit here and record this, the SEC tournament's going on. Um, I, I've, been there uh more than a few occasions to to call games uh in 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 the music city i I think it's the best venue much like the sec football championship belongs in atlanta every year the basketball belongs in nashville every year it's a downtown arena but unlike a lot of major cities that have uh let crime take over and elect mayors that don't seem to to give a slop about it Nashville remains a city that you can feel safe in downtown and the downtown is not an area like, Ooh, I don't want to go downtown. It's actually an area that is the highlight of Nashville. Still, they've managed to keep it that way. And they've evolved from just a country music Haven. It is a place that so many people love and adore for different reasons. And that's why it has become a very popular destination to move. You have people from all over the country moving to Nashville. Michael, as you well know, as you see the prices of virtually everything, real estate skyrocket and some more traffic as well. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, like, <laughs> for instance, the, the last time that you visited me uh, and, and you were able to, to we were able to see each other in Nashville was just uh, right before the pandemic. It was the week that the SEC tournament or the day that the tournament was canceled uh, back in 2020. And you visited me uh, at, at a duplex that I was living in at the time in a really nice little neighborhood in the west side of town. And since that time, um, I got evicted from that place because because the owner sold it, and there's now a 1.7 million dollar home that was built in its place. So oh, that, yeah, that's the that's, kind of stuff that we're that uh, that you're talking about. That's it. Yeah. That's it. it. It all worked out for me. Like I'm in a really nice spot, and I'm still uh, you know I'm still very happy where I am in the same neighborhood, as a matter of fact. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's weird to drive past where I where I used to live and, and see a, a spot that's worth nearly $2 million now. I, um, uh, I've lived in Nashville twice, seven years total, uh, once with rivals, uh.com once with 24 seven sports, but those companies were based out of Nashville. Uh, I believe 24 seven sports still is, but, um, you know, I, it was a place when I, I love, absolutely loved living there. It, it just, 
there's just a feeling you get in the city that's peaceful, calm, like Mike said, safe. Uh, and I live, my, my office was in Brentwood. So I was, I lived out in like the Spring Hill, Franklin, uh, Spring Hill for a while, Franklin for a while. Uh, never got to really live downtown, but certainly spent a lot of time down there. I'd go down to the Sirius XM studios and do my weekly recruiting show with Bill King. Uh, nice. So that was good. But, you know, people ask me a lot, would you ever go back? <clears throat> you know, because it is a popular place. And my answer would probably be no, because I think I've been priced out. <laughs> and <laughs> It, it, my, my friends, I've, I have friends that live in Nashville and also, also like Austin, Texas. And from what I see right now with, with Nashville, you know, just hearing it and, and seeing it for myself, it's about where Austin was about eight years ago. So you're about eight years away from it being super duper overflowingly crowded. And, uh, vice on, on the other to that, Greenville, South Carolina right now is probably about, 10 years from where Nashville was when I moved there in 04. Uh, so those of you that live in the upstate <laughs> in about 20 years, you're going to see what I'm talking about. So, um, but it certainly is a wonderful place. And uh, I agree with you on the SEC basketball tournament, Mike, and it's going to be interesting to see if they, I don't think they'll ever move the football game, to be honest. Again, it's no. only been in two places, but if Nashville does build this new uh Two billion dollar stadium, uh, you know they're gonna they're eyeing a Super Bowl and all that. I could maybe not see the SEC play the championship game there, but maybe see um, maybe see a national championship, college football playoff championship oh, yeah. game there. I you think know, that's think that going. I think that's very possible. I I don't think the SEC. I think the SEC loves having two major cities for its championships. I mean, you can't lose with Atlanta, Nashville. That's that's a pretty sweet setup if you can. I do the basketball tournament. Um, I mean that that's that would just be awesome to go. I mean, because you go a day, you see your team, you may see the other teams, then you can walk right outside and go to the honky tonk or or go get some barbecue or do whatever, and you don't have to right there. You're right there. I don't know people. I I'm sure a lot of people are like, yeah, dummies. We know this. We've been to Nashville. A lot of people haven't. I mean, I I know people that still are like, it's on their list of places to visit. Uh, again, it's unlike like a lot of major cities at this point, even Atlanta. Uh, when I tell people, like when they come to visit Atlanta, we don't go downtown for mm-hmm. anything. The only time you go downtown is for a game. It used to be for a Braves game. They're now in Cobb County. And now it's either for a Falcons game, a Hawks game, or um, the SEC championship game slash playoff. The rest of the time you're in Atlanta, you're visiting other parts of the city. That's what most people do when they come to Atlanta. In Nashville, you're more than happy to just spend your whole vacation there downtown, to your whole time there downtown. And like you said, Jason, you pour out of the stadium, there's plenty of places to go and do. And they've managed to uh, keep, you know, there's an expression speaking of Austin, keep Austin weird. And some of that's neat and cute. And some of that, if I have friends that live in Austin and they're concerned about where they're headed. Uh, it, and they're worried about ruining a, a once great city. That's not happening in Nashville anytime soon. So kudos to the people that are running. What I've learned a lot since COVID, guys. I and again, I've said many times, I'm I'm I've lived a a life that is predominantly apolitical. But what I've learned is that the most important politics that affect you the most are the are the ones closest to where you live. Mm-hmm. So your mayor and your governor. You learned that during COVID, how you were, how your life was going to be and how it was going to be 
uh, controlled or not controlled and how you're going to keep things clean and say all that comes down to you can vote for a president every four years, but you better keep an eye on who's running your city and your state. So I've learned a lot about that in terms of how that affects us, quote unquote, everyday people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's uh, uh yeah. Trust me, there's a a, a mayor. We're in Chicago. We don't have enough. <laughs> we don't. We don't have enough and, time to get in. You know where where into you're that. at, Buckhead's trying to succeed from the the from the the, oh, the yeah. city. And, oh, we could do yeah, that local politics are that, pretty interesting. Yeah, we we all like if we didn't know who the governor and mayor were before COVID, we all know now. So that's yeah, exactly. Uh, and I used to definitely. not even pay attention. I'll yeah, be honest with you, know, I was know? beyond ignorant about all of it. I I I. I I'd be the first one to tell you I didn't keep up with much. I didn't vote for much. I just lived my life and people figure it out. And then I realized, okay, maybe they won't figure it out. And there is a big difference. All right. Michael's squirming over there. He doesn't like where this conversation is going. Michael, get us back on track, please. Yeah. Well, I was just saying uh, in terms of overinflating value, uh, like Nashville's housing market uh, and other things that have gone because, you know, it is directly tied to politics and um, you did have, uh, property value increase uh, nearly forty percent here during COVID. So yes, I yeah. I, can, I can definitely understand. You understand. You're living feel, it. Yeah. The light of all of that. But to get into the hot Haney Five guys and and to get the show uh, moving along here and overinflated values, why don't we start <laughs> number one with the Pac-12 and Woo. they are still floundering just a little bit, uh, guys, and uh, kind of uh, uh, one of the dominoes that has to fall before some other things can happen. But Let's let's just be real with what's going on with them. It's it's Southern Cal, it's UCLA deciding to leave, and the Pac-12, gentlemen, they don't really have a lot of value to offer beyond rivalries. Um, that some of the rivalries and things that they've got within the league, not really going to move the meter. Southern Cal and UCLA being in the LA market, they're gone. So what does the Pac-12 have to sell, and and what do you think can be? the uh the conclusion to this saga for the Pac-12 and its media rights I would love to know what is going what is being said on these conference calls <clears throat> led by George Klyovkov um I I don't know George Klyovkov at all he might be the smartest guy in the room I I don't know I really don't know and ultimately he's going to be judged on how all this is resolved so I'll, I'm going to reserve my opinion till we see how it is all resolved at times, I've made this analogy before, it seems like the classic case of when the Titanic hits the iceberg and there's clearly some holes in the ship and it's clearly having a slow sink and everybody's looking for lifeboats. It seems like Mr. Klyovkov might be the guy saying to the band, hey, do we want to go Mozart here? What are we thinking? What Beethoven? What what should be a good selection right now to to uh, make sure we please the passengers? I I, I hope that's not the case. Um, I don't want to see the complete destruction of the once uh, mighty and strong Pac-10, Pac-12, Pac-8. But let's look at what's going on right now. You clearly, and I, I know sometimes it's hard to separate rumor uh, from actual fact. We don't know exactly what's being said, but you can see enough warning signs that there are all kinds of schools in that league flirting with with other conferences and trying to get out, whether it's Colorado to the Big 12, whether it's uh, the long time rumor of Oregon, Washington going to the Big 10, whether it's the Arizona schools going to the Big 12. 
there's just a lot out there that it's hard not to believe that that, that isn't going on simultaneous to the fact that the Pac-12 desperately needs to get a television contract. Well, it's hard for the TV networks to go ahead and really make a full-fledged financial commitment when they don't even know who's going to be in the league anymore. So you have that going on. Apple is is emerging. You keep hearing things like Apple and Amazon as carriers. JC, you and I talked about that last week. The disadvantages of not having a major partner like an ESPN or Fox with all due respect to Jeff Bezos and Tim Cook and the people that run those fine, uh, <laughs> I don't want to call them monopolies, but they're pretty doggone close. Uh, it, it, To me, I would be surprised if they're able to hold together with the remaining 10 schools that they have. It just seems like that is too tall an order at this point. And if that is the case, then what are you left with? If you are the pack eight, six, it, it, it you, you almost you are you going to still? Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the other thing that's clearly out there. And I know Michael's got that on his list. I mean, there's rumors about. Well, what about? I don't know if it's even rumors. It was a it was a suggestion of merging. And who was it that made it? I've just forgot where I read that. Um, uh, but John merging, Skipper, ESPN. Yeah, John Skipper. Okay, so John Skipper. For those that don't know used to be um, my boss, uh, big boss at ESPN, uh, used to run ESPN for all intents and purposes. And then uh, things happened and John Skipper has been out of the, out of the ESPN now for, I don't know, five years or so. And he's, he's with the, the Dan Lebetard network doing something promoting. Um, I don't know what they are fights or what, whatever. But but he's an intelligent man, and he he said, well, "I tell you what, they should do is just merge." That si- sounds fine. I don't see that happening. What, why would Florida State and Clemson want to split up TV money with um, Washington State and Oregon State? I, I forget about geography. I realize it's no longer about geography. But but what would be the advantage to some of those schools wanting to do that? I, I don't really think that's um, I don't think that's realistic. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I, I, when I said merger, because I, I, I'm with you, the ACC and Pac-12, I mean, you could have a loose like a confederacy kind of deal where. OK, you, you call yourself the by bi, the bi-coastal conference or whatever, and. You know, but you would almost have to operate it as two separate leagues. Uh, and then you come together to play a championship or you come together to play the basketball tournament or whatever, because, you know, travel for your Olympics. I mean, it, it, you know, and then without a, a Los Angeles market team, you're still, you know, bo- kind of boxed out there. You know, uh, when I said merge up, you know, under under the scenario I'm presenting, you know, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal go to the Big Ten, maybe on Stanford and Cal. Uh, the the corner schools go back to the you know go to the Big Twelve, um, and then that just uh, that leaves you with you know what what is it, Oregon State and Washington State, and that's it. And and they may not even be able to. I mean, I I think you know sometimes when a company that has a good brand goes under, a bigger company will or a, a, an upstart or whoever or a lesser company will buy that and then use the brand. So if I'm the Mountain West, 
maybe I'm just deciding to rebrand myself as the Pac-12 and merging with whatever's left, which could include Stanford and Cal and Oregon and Washington, for that matter, if the Big Ten, you know, stands put. But, you know, I, I think whereas we all kind of speculated, Mike, that Oregon and Washington would hold all the cards here or whatever, I'm not – and I know Oregon's got a lot of sway and all that kind of stuff. I'm not so sure the corner schools don't at this point because – uh, I think the I think they make all the sense in the world for an expanded Big Twelve. I think it, I think Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State joins the Big Twelve. That's all of a sudden your third quote unquote national conference, or, or really the second that extends throughout all the time zones uh, half the year. You know, obviously because Arizona's uh, half in Pacific, half in Mountain. But um, you know, I think. I think that 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 sends a, that that really relegates the Pac-12 to to being uh, sort of like the Big East before the Big East just dissolved, and and that's sad. But uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure it's uh, Kalikoff's fault. I, I think he could pin all this back still on Larry Scott, and, and also, quite frankly, the leadership of the schools out there. I mean, they you've heard football coaches before talk about the lack of commitment. Uh, to that sport and lack of commitment to sports in general, um, which is a shame because I said it plenty of times, California is a great football state. It's a great sports state. Uh, Californians are a little different than those of us in the South or the Midwest or wherever, but they still love their ball, you know, and, um, and there's a lot of people that went to a lot of these colleges. I mean, the other idea would be call up Long Beach state and Fullerton state and say, Hey, why don't you restart football? <laughs> and it may take 10 years. You know, cause Long Beach state had football till 1991. Uh, Remember who last Tur- coached them? Uh, George Allen. The legendary he- George Allen. Yeah. And Terrell Davis was on that team. And then uh, George Allen died. Willie Brown coached him for one year and then they disbanded and Terrell Davis transfers to Georgia. And, uh, TD was just okay at Georgia statistically. Sixth then round draft pick. Then he got to the league and just blew up with the, yeah. with, the with the Broncos. So Michael, you're chomping at the bit. What what you got? Yeah, well, sorry, well, uh, well, Fullerton no, State had, had ball in a while either. Let, I, let, I did have this on the list, but let's go ahead. I'm, I'm going to move it up the, the list here with this ACC Pac-12 merger being floated. Let's just go ahead and and I'll read the quote from John Skipper on the Dan Lebetard show for you for context for uh, for those of you listening. Um, John Skipper uh, saying, quote, I think the ACC should merge with the Pac-12, which now has 10 teams. I would take eight of those teams, change my footprint, have a 24-team conference with a Western division, and their ACC network footprint would expand to the West Coast. You would probably force a renegotiation with ESPN for a new deal, and you can solve both problems. The ACC would get more money, expand its footprint, can compete with the SEC and the Big Ten, uh, end quote from John and Skipper. And that, uh, guys, of course, comes on the heels of, of the fact that you've got some of those in the ACC that are uh, that are looking to uh, push the envelope a little bit. That's going to be the next topic. But that is the quote there from yeah. Skipper about exactly what his idea would be to try and fix both leagues right now. I would just I would just close it by saying that is uh there's some some of that makes sense i don't know if the actual follow through is possible uh, i i just don't see that many 
people coming together. And think about all the things that have to happen there to, to make that work. I mean, he's, he's talking about, he would know better than me used to sign these contracts that they would just for the ACC would force ESPN to break that contract, which goes through what? 2036, 36. Correct. I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. That's a little bit above my pay grade, but that seems like it'd be a lot harder than it sounds. And I don't know if they're, yeah, I mean, the people that are going to move the needle for a decision like that in the ACC are the Florida States, the world, the Clemsons of the world, the the football powers of that league, and there aren't very many. And I don't know if they're really goo goo gaga over trying to, you know, be uh, best buds with the the pack whatever in a in a merger. I just the Big Twelve Pac twelve merger back when that was taught that actually made sense to me, and it never really got off the ground. I don't think this thing's going to get off the ground. Well, just logistically, that makes more sense. I mean, you, like just the fact that you had USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten when the maps were put out about like what the travel would be, you know, it's, it's you're not even taking the athletes and their consideration. And I'm like, my God, that's uh, that's some long travel days for for those uh, California teams to have to go play Big Ten teams. Uh, and Mike, you travel enough calling, yeah. <laughs> calling games every single week, um, and you're you know have a pretty decent footprint around the southeast and in the midwest at times going coast to coast or midwest to coast or vice versa that's well very draining. For foot, yeah for i mean unfortunately i don't get to fly charters i have because i've done games for teams and that is night and day so when you actually that's why for football honestly geography means nothing these kids are getting on a charter flight which you know, unless they make millions in pro ball, they'll never be on a charter flight again. Just like most of us uh, don't ever get to do uh, a charter flight just because like, hey, honey, let's go to Bermuda. Let's get on the charter. And that's not our that's not real people uh, world. That's a that's a whole other deal. But when you're on a charter, even if you're going from UCLA to Rutgers, which was like the most common uh these kids are going to go like, honestly, that's not that big a deal. It's once a week and you're on a charter. You're not stopping anywhere. You're not, I mean, it. it's really not that bad. Now for ba- sports like basketball, where you're playing two games a week, they're going to have to navigate through that where it almost be like what JC was talking about, um, where, well, you can't really navigate through that to be honest with. Now that I think about that, I was thinking of the the potential merger. UCLA and Southern Cal, those kids, even on charters, to do that twice a week, that is a lot. And then the the Olympic sports, I don't. I mean, there is a lot of those sports that typically don't charter. You don't have it in the budget, and so if you can't get on a bus, then you're flying uh, Delta and American like everybody else is, and there's delays and. That's those are the the kids I really feel sorry for. But for football players with twelve games, half of them at home, the other half you get on a charter flight with good meals and you're attended to, and it's nonstop. You're you're not in the air more than three four hours. That's not too bad. They they can make that work. And as we all know, these decisions are based almost entirely on one sport, and that is football. Yeah, and so uh, Pac twelve again floundering. Uh... John Skipper saying that, you know, number two topic, should the, should the Pac-12 and ACC merge, we'll move to number three. And what's the potential for some ACC schools to 
uh, again, put some uh, fire under the feet uh, of the powers that be within their conference to change the revenue sharing uh, within their league and their television deal if they're locked into that for another 12 years, uh, as you said. So topic number three here, you know who's moving the meter in the ACC, guys. It's Florida State. It's it's Clemson. Uh, it's North Carolina uh, in Tobacco Road uh, with this. But Bubba Cunningham uh, has challenged this week. Florida State Athletic Director Michael Alford uh, has recently said, quote, something has to change moving forward, end quote. Um, the gentlemen, the, the entire realignment thing in the last decade plus began because Texas was the one making the most money in the Big 12, and that's where we saw the the cracks begin for uh, A&M and Missouri uh, to move to the SEC once upon a time. Now, obviously, Texas is going to be uh, in the SEC along with Oklahoma because of the equal distribution that was going on in league. So we saw leagues move around with all these media rights deals to try and have equal distribution among schools, and now you have uh, the schools that are at the upper food chain in each conference namely the ACC now trying to revert back and say, no, we're the, we're the blue bloods. We want the most money. Is that going to work? Let's never forget this. The ACC in part, the, 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 where they are in part is because they devoured the big East. The big East is no longer because the ACC decided we're going to rape and pillage the, the, the big East of its, primary schools that can give us some football and add some basketball and the big East basically as we knew it then self-destructed. Now, now the big East is a, an all basketball league and it's a healthy league and it's, you know, they've, they've actually done a great job of um, recovering, but sometimes you reap what you sow. The, the, the ACC didn't care about it, <laughs> the big East at all when they took Syracuse, when they took Miami, when they took Virginia tech, when they took Boston College. And now here's the ACC, and there are a lot of conferences that I am convinced would have already stolen, for lack of a better word, um, some of its elite programs, if it's not for that deal. Well, that deal, which everybody likes to talk about is so awful, that deal, even though financially speaking, it doesn't stack up with the SEC and Big Ten, and that gap's only going to widen here in the near future, but it's the only thing that has been able to keep those schools in that league because the penalty for leaving is so harsh. I, I don't think people truly appreciate uh, grant rights, you know, what that means or what what that really does. I mean, basically, you're you're not talking about like a $10 million fine. You're talking about a $100 million or so fine, and then you're talking about the TV money that you earn from the new league going to the old league. As I understand it, that's what we're talking So it's so punitive that it makes it nearly impossible for Florida State, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, whoever you want to pick, to leave. Otherwise, I'm convinced they have they would have already been gone. Oh, yeah. They did that when Maryland left because there was a lot of talk that the Big Ten was not done just adding Maryland that maybe Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia Tech uh, were all schools mentioned at the time. Um, and, and so I, I I think that it's kind of funny because I think the ACC is considered at one point considered itself a shrewd player, especially when they went and picked off uh, Pitt and Syracuse and, you know, after getting Miami and those two essentially just like ended the big East or whatever. Um 
I think they acted in a very arrogant manner, not taking West Virginia because they fancied themselves as some sort of big academic conference. And uh, then once Maryland walks out the door, they're like, oh, God, you know, because <laughs> uh, all of a sudden the Big Ten has the entire northern quadrant of the entire country. And, uh, you know, you, you lose out on some of those markets and stuff. And, and you add in Pitt and Syracuse moves the needle really none. Um, so they panic and add Louisville, you know, that they're, they've been begging Notre Dame to join. That's not going to happen now with, uh, with, with the, the big 10 deal also kind of enveloped Notre Dame because NBC needed more inventory. And, uh, now that they have a big 10 game and a Notre Dame game every week, they're going to be able to pay the Irish a competitive, a bunch of money. And why would they, you know, not, they've got it made, but, uh, you know, I, I think that that conference lacks a lot of leadership, uh, you know, and a lot of, um, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, uh, being a lot of reality, you know, a grasp of reality. Uh, and, and I think it has for a while. I mean, you know, you, you, they, they try to sit there and hold up the playoff expansion and, all that good stuff because they're mad or something. And, and Jim Phillips, the, the, the commissioner who at least has worked in college athletics before he's just all like, well, you know, uh, this is about, you know, whatever the, the normal talking points are academically. Um, and so I think the league's in trouble because big brand, the big brands in that league. And, and another point I want to make, look, Wake Forest and Duke have won their share of football games. So has Boston College, right? They don't invest the money in the sport like Clemson or like uh, North Carolina or like Florida State. Uh, and I, and I, I honestly don't think that's fair because, you know, if they're, if they're not out there reinvesting and trying to be the best they can be, you know, and they're just taking a, 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 the same paycheck, you know, that the Clemson's getting, you know, obviously if I'm a bigger brand, I want a little more as well. Um, so um, that's the thing. Everybody's got to uh, handle their commitments. And I, I just don't think that's happening in the ACC right now. And, and I don't know that it's realistic that it will. Yeah. So uh, with that in mind um, and the conference tournaments, you know, as you mentioned, Mike, at the outset, uh, starting this week, uh, moving on to uh, number four here, uh, the big 12 and, and JC, you mentioned, uh, one of these teams uh, earlier uh, for the Pac-12 into the Big 12 here, but uh, commissioner of the Big 12, Brett Yormark, uh, before the conference tournament uh, stated uh, yesterday uh, that he's exploring every little possibility for adding new members to his conference. The Athletic did report on March the 3rd that the conference has been in recent contact with Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, as they continue to negotiate their own media rights deal, when again, kind of looking at, at where things are going to go with the Pac-12, uh, maybe before they do. Uh, the Big 12 just added BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. But I, I know we've had this conversation uh, before, and obviously there is a marquee name uh, roaming the sidelines for the Buffaloes now. But it would almost feel like home and, and feel better if Colorado were to make and move back to the Big 12. It would make a, a lot more sense, similar to what we were discussing with Nebraska and, and their move from the Big 12 to the Big 10. Things have not quite been the same uh, for them. Same for Colorado since going to the, the Pac-12. They've been on hard times for the better part of 20, 25 years. Um, maybe a move back to the Big 12 would be just what the doctor ordered for a program like that. This seems like a no-brainer to me. 
Um, mm. I've only been to Boulder once, and that was to do a Pac-12 football game against Utah for Fox. And I had to keep reminding myself, this is a Pac-12 game. Colorado is a Pac-12 team. Um, Colorado feels like Big 12, looks like Big 12, acts like Big 12. Everything about Colorado to me says Big 12. And you can make the case, although they're about to lose, uh, Oklahoma and Texas, Big 12 is, they're surging. Uh, the, The four teams they added, I thought were perfect additions. And I don't think they're done. And if if you were to add, of all the different hypothetical scenarios we've already talked about here through the first four subject lines, Colorado, the Big 12, to me, that's where I'd put my money. Uh, if, if any of these things can happen, it just seems like that would be the one that would make the most sense and is also the most feasible. No, I, I'm with you, too. I, I think that's... Uh... That's kind of where they belong, uh, and and you can throw Nebraska will never go back because of the, of the money, but you can throw Nebraska into that category too. Yeah. They belong in the Big Twelve. I mean, that's that's sort of you know it, it kind of got like a Western culture that probably is similar to and not not Boulder itself, but Colorado in general, probably a more Western culture they probably have more common people that live in austin and san antonio than they do people that live in la uh although that always can change right um look big 12 adds those four schools all of a sudden they're in orlando tampa denver phoenix cincinnati they're in the pittsburgh market because of west virginia dallas fort worth houston san antonio austin all over texas um Salt Lake City. So that's not that's not a bad collection of markets. And and it's not all about obviously uh like um uh, TV cable anymore, streaming's in it, but it, but that's still as you've pointed out uh many times, Mike, that's still where the lion's share of the revenue is coming from, you know, as far as cable goes. Even though people have cut, you're still making a significant amount of cash. So TV sets still do matter. All right, gentlemen, and moving on to question number five, and we'll, we'll uh, table the expansion talk uh, for now. I, I do want to get on something that's, uh, again, more of a, a, a broader look, um, but pinpoint into to where this started a couple of weeks ago, South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer during a press conference to introduce uh, some new transfers uh, got into a, a discussion about uh, assistant coaches and the NFL and the way that NIL and the way that uh, the the new collective environment around college athletics uh, has changed the game, uh, especially for assistant coaches that, quite frankly, just don't really want to deal uh, with that. And, and Beamer uh, saying that you're never really off. I mean, not that guys ever really were to begin with, but even more so now. The time frame um, – there's there's never really a day off for a college football coach, even an assistant coach in any way, shape or form when it comes to recruiting and NIL um, in this particular world that we're living in now. I mean, half of the Florida Gators staff, I believe, has jumped to the NFL now. <laughs> it was part of uh, part of the question. But just uh, for you guys, is, is this good or bad for the college game as we see more assistant coaches weighing whether or not they want to stay in that side of it 
Uh, the NFL was always the dream for a lot of a lot of guys, but now more so, it seems to be the more practical choice of not having to uh, deal with as much anymore uh, because of where things currently stand in the climate around college football and recruiting. JC, you've been talking about this for a while, right? I mean, guys that just want to coach ball, you just can't coach ball anymore, and it's it's going to drive more and more people out of the sport. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you used to have college football lifers. I mean, the money is a little bit better than the NFL. Uh, you know, some people don't really like the, I guess, the uh, recruiting aspect of it to begin with. You know, but then there's some coaches that don't mind the recruiting that like being around the college game that, uh, you know, they're making plenty of money anyway in college. So they're, you know, they don't want to go work like 12 hours a day on football, you know? Um, so there's a life balance. Well, now, you know, you are working 12 hours a day on in college because you're con I mean, you, you have the NFL, but, you, but you're also, you don't have a personnel department um, like you do in the NFL that just handles all that stuff to where you can just coach ball Um uh, not only are you recruiting, you're recruiting 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, because there's unlimited, unrestricted free agency in college football with the transfer portal and NIL and all that. So, you know, you're in a constant state of flux with your head on a swivel. And and look, so those 12-hour days where you just get to work on football up in the pros, probably not that bad, right? You know, so um, I uh, – uh, I, I think you're going to see compared to where how it used to be, where you had lifers in college that uh, never would really have any interest in going to the NFL and they'd be fine and really good coaches. I think you're going to see coaches jump at it just because, uh, whereas that they used to avoid it because of quality of life. They're going to now jump at it for quality of life. That's, that's now more change. than ever. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, again, just football, basketball, it's, it's universal. Every coach I've spoken to at one point or another is talking about how ridiculous the setup is right now. No guardrails, no rules, no let up. And that's what you're going to continue to have. It's the whole notion of, you know, so often, like in anything where people are the prisoner of, of the, you become a prisoner of two ideas. Either you're for the current system or you just don't want college kids to get compensated. There's There's something in the middle there's most people that realize and recognize the current setup is a joke also want to see college athletes get a bigger piece of the pie and get compensated. It, it's not, you don't have to be one or the other They're not mutually exclusive. Um, but the way this is set up now, this started, I mean, people forget Eric B has been in the news because he finally left the chiefs and now he's going to get a chance to get credit for, his offense, which has been Andy Reid's offense for a while now in Kansas City, not to take away from what Eric Bieniemy did, but that's just it. Andy Reid is a Hall of Famer and going to go down as one of the best offensive minds in the history of the sport. And Eric Bieniemy, and he was that before Eric Bieniemy, and he'll be that after Eric Bieniemy. But Eric Bieniemy got offered the Colorado job long before Deion Sanders did. Anybody remember that? They wanted mm -hmm. Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy, I don't think ever even gave it a second thought. He doesn't want to deal with college. That was before NIL. <laughs> that was before the, there's a lot of guys that already just didn't want to deal with recruiting 
and public speaking and you know the, the you gotta you gotta go to the caravan tours and talk to all the boosters and like a lot of coaches don't want to deal with that that's a that's always been there now you add this wrinkle and now coaches are literally running from the college game to go to the pro game to not have to deal with well Johnny is threatening to leave if we don't give him an extra 100k because school XYZ is offering an extra 100k they didn't sign up for that they don't want any part of that how oh, much yeah. do you think affects the quality of of coaching moving forward if if there is no guardrail of there is no system in place that helps sort of corral what's going on. Like how much do you feel the quality of coaching in the college game suffers because of this? That's a great question. I don't, I don't know. I mean, look, there's people are always going to want to get into coaching. It is such a popular profession and the people that do it, they can't see themselves doing anything else. Some might say broadcasting is like that. Right. Um, and so I think the supply side is always going to be there, but are you going to lose some of the better coaches because of the this, the current setup? Yeah. Are you going to see some of the old legends retire sooner? Yeah. Like, do you think Bobby Bowden would have been doing it in his 80s if he had to deal with NIL? No. Um, do you think Joe Paterno, if it wasn't for all the drama, if would he have kept doing it if in, a, in an era of NIL? I mean, I I don't know. I I think you're going to see guys just say f- enough. Like Saban's wired differently. We know this. Saban, as much as he complains about the current system, he ain't retiring anytime soon. I, I have a feeling Nick Saban will not walk away from the game under anything less than another national title, and then he'll think about it before he probably starts recruiting again. But but most guys are not wired quite like Saban. Most of them are like, you know what? I've done enough, and I don't need this nonsense, and I've got enough money to live on the rest of my life. I'm out. Peace out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, too. It, it just gets to be a headache. And, you know, it's not uh, – I mean, it, it, it's a system now that's totally geared toward whatever the players want. And, and you know, you have to have coaching – and rule and, and rules. I mean, to kind of balance it in a competitive sport. Otherwise, you know, just let, let's just get the let the players get together and pick their own teams and, and go try to play. I mean, and uh, uh, and and you know, the people that um, wanted it this way, you know, they're they're, they're getting their wish, and um, it's kind of funny because most of them make a living covering the sport, and it, it clearly is not good for the sport. Yeah, and and, I, and I'm happy to see any kid get money, and um, you know, some of these kids NILs changed their lives. Uh, not just you know, I know none of us around here are believe in the old myth about they can't afford a pizza argument, but some of these NIL deals have, have helped Mama out of a jam or Daddy out of a jam or, or something like that, or or, or, or you know, um, and they're they're a net positive in that way. But when you have uh, unfettered free agency, uh, you know, and guys just leaving to go get paid at another school. I mean, that's no, no, no sports leagues operate that way. Let's just put it that way. All right, gentlemen. Well, that wraps it up for the hot Haney five. Uh, Mike, you want to get us started on an SEC spotlight? 
Yeah, I mean, it's basically the schedule, right? For for a while now, we've heard about it. We've talked about it on this podcast. Always thought that we were going to nine. And then it was just a matter of, okay, what's the model going to be? Uh, and with the addition of two more schools in Oklahoma, Texas, and they, of course, they're getting in a year, getting in a year early, which was also predicted on this podcast. So it all kind of, it all kind of ties in nice and it's almost too neat, right? We're not used to things being neat. Uh, and, and so tidy, uh, when it comes to college football, everything always just seems to be a little bit janky, but not this, you got everything coming together in 2014, the expanded playoff, the expanded sec, the expanded big 10, um, the television coverage, the way it's, you know, the CBS deal is, uh, I believe is going to expire then and the ESPN will take over the top SEC game. Like everything is just kind of coming together all at the same time. So then it was just a matter of getting the schedule together and you got the three, six model, which makes a lot of sense. Is everybody going to be happy? No. Um, Is there a perfect way to do it? No. How did they come up with the three? They did that. They did the three based on what they didn't take like a straw poll. It was based on, 10 years worth of data and how those schools performed during the 10 years. So as you would expect, for example, over a 10 year stretch, Alabama was one and Vanderbilt was 14. And then you can figure out where Texas and Oklahoma fit in that equation as well. So what they came up with, and we've heard, you know, this is one that people are never going to be sympathetic toward Nick Saban, but when Nick Saban says, come on, Auburn, Tennessee and LSU, that's a little much. No, um, that's where, where he's coming from. And then, of course, the common joke is, can everybody just appeal to play to get Vanderbilt on the permanent rotation? The answer is no. Only Tennessee, Auburn, and Missouri get to play Vanderbilt uh, every year. And then you have some longtime rivals that are uh, going to have to fall by the wayside. Now, they'll still meet twice out of every four years. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan, like you're not going to have to wait long to see that game at all. But, for example, Florida LSU, they're not going to meet every year. This is according to Ross Dellinger, and this is, you know, this might be tweaked a bit, but it seems like his information typically is pretty darn good. Like yeah. Florida's got Georgia. You knew that wasn't going anywhere. South Carolina, Oklahoma. You know, who was going to play Oklahoma and Texas? Well, there you have it. Oklahoma's got Texas, of course, and then Missouri and Florida. Well, who's going to play Texas every year? A&M, of course, and Arkansas, in addition to Oklahoma. Uh, so those are some of the ones that kind of um, stood out. I'm sure, JC, you're the, the, the fan base that you write uh, and, and cover, the, the Gamecock fan base, they have a lot of thoughts on Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky. I don't know if you would consider that a, a great draw or not. Uh, it seems kind it of makes, fair. I, I don't yeah, know. Tennessee, the last 10 years, has had the same uh, overall winning percentage as South Carolina. That, that's right. Yeah. You're complaining you know, if you're assuming that Tennessee is like completely is back, back now under Hypo for good. But we know that can, you know, they will they're gonna lose a lot of guys from that yeah. team a year ago. And Florida, Florida was uh, number, the, the fifth uh, most winning program during the last 10 years. But you also have to keep, to keep in mind, they, you know, they were kind of, I mean, I don't know. They, they they have they 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 have not been as bad as people think. They've won three division titles, multiple ten win seasons under under Mullen. You know, they've just kind of been up and down. And, and so that's South Carolina's like big opponent. 
most Gamecock fans are not happy that the Georgia series, which has gone uninterrupted since 1992 uh, when they came into the league, is, is ending. But oh, count you know, your you really, blessings. You really won't. I mean, you know, are you really are you really that upset about it? You know, um, <laughs> that's the other thing is that everybody was saying, please don't give me Georgia, Alabama. Yeah. And so if you're a Gamecock fan, uh, again, you'll see them two out of every four years. If, if you're yearning to play the dogs, Georgia will be at Billy Bryce uh, I, yeah. plenty of times. I, it, it, so ideally, if I were South Carolina, I, I would have kind of liked to have seen them uh, hook back up with Mississippi State. Uh, I think that's a that's not a rivalry game or anything like that, but I think those are kind of two schools that should play. Um, they play twice a year, and they're permanent opponents in basketball anyway. Uh, I think I think the game has kept Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Georgia. Um, not not really that sad to see the Tennessee series continue every single year. Um, you know, and, and I think Tennessee fans are probably sitting there going, "Man, we're kind of fortunate because you know we've gone from we still have to play Alabama every year, but you know now we we get rid of Florida and and we get rid of Georgia." And we get rid of uh, a lot of these other schools, and we get South Carolina and uh, Vanderbilt <laughs> every season, in addition to the Tide. So, you know, they've gone from having pretty bad luck on scheduling to what if I were them, I just consider it pretty good luck. Although that South Carolina series is back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting too that that Texas probably got what it wants yet again first year in the league you know or first time you know they're not even in the league yet but they're they're getting what they want because they they got those three i mean arkansas texas used to be a daggum i mean there was a game time they played with them in the southwest Conference. they called it the best game of all time right right you know um that's a that's a daggum game you know a&m is a bitter rivalry oklahoma is one that the networks probably would not let them not play like Georgia, Florida, but it's just kind of funny, you know, Texas, Texas getting what it wants. So, yeah. I think Texas, that was the easiest three picks out there. Yeah. there. Like yeah. if you're, if you're, you're giving Texas three permanents, you, you got to go Oklahoma, Texas, A&M and Arkansas. I don't uh, even think you, you shouldn't have had to thought up, think about that for more than two minutes. Yeah. Like some of these that. are challenging. But but I also think Oklahoma would have a gripe to play Missouri. Are they playing Missouri? Maybe not. Yeah, they've got Missouri. Oh, they got Missouri. Oh, got Florida. Texas, Missouri, Texas, Missouri, and Florida. and Florida. Well, that's that's good. You know, I I think Missouri probably would have liked to have played te- play Texas again. But I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see sort of how all that goes down. But yeah, A and M, Oklahoma, Arkansas. That's going to be. Uh, all of a sudden, Texas has three rivalries, and uh, and, I, and I guess you know. Kind of backtracking on that a little bit, if you think about it, most teams that Texas plays in the Big 12, especially from within the state of Texas, probably they get sky high for the Longhorns anyway. So maybe this takes a little uh, a little less of the, the, the rivalry part of it out of it. I, I don't know. I'll just say one more thing on this. I want to make sure we're clear. This is not set in stone that it's even no. going to be the 3-6 model. A lot of people seem to think that's going to be the big news that comes out of Destin in, what, a month or so when they meet out there, uh, the athletic directors and, and Greg Sankey. But it 
if it's not coming out, then it's a big old smoke screen. I mean, you know, I've always thought the only resistance to it would be coaches. They're, you know, just leaning on their ADs. You don't want to do this. We're going to lose more games and therefore we're going to, you're going to lose more money and blah, blah, blah. blah. It's, it's easier to play uh, a team from the Mac than it is another SEC game every year. But th- there's just too much money at stake. And now that an expanded playoff, again, I go back to my, it's all just nice and tidy. With the expanded playoff, you can justify it because you can lose two games, two games. And, and you're an SEC program you lose two games but you're still in great shape for a 12 team playoff so i think it just times out perfectly and i'm i'm fairly confident that's the model that we're going to see and i wouldn't be surprised to see some news uh start to break after this weekend in uh, nashville uh, at the sec tournament because hey the athletic directors are there true they're all there so We'll see what happens. All right. Um, so I was going to do a deep dive on the NFL quarterback combine. I, I I won't go. I won't go deep dive on that. I will just say this. I'm fascinated. The Anthony Richardson thing is fascinating to me. And the mean. Bryce Young is fascinating to me. And the Will Levis is fascinating to me. Now, I, I've seen all three of them. Um, I've been next to all three of them. I know what they look like. I know. I I, I knew people were going to to freak out about Bryce Young's size and I knew people were going to freak out about Anthony Richardson's athleticism and then Will Levis who's very athletic in his own right well he's the mystery because he had a really good junior year and a really average senior year so people aren't really they don't really know how to feel about that uh, the Anthony Richardson the, the deal I keep hearing Cam Newton Cam Newton he looks like Cam Newton physically He's never thrown a pretty ball like Cam Newton, and he's never been accurate like Cam Newton was in college, and he didn't win like Cam Newton did in college. So I don't know. You want to you want to roll the dice on that on the top ten pick? Whew. I I just that I I think th- these are going to be three fascinating case studies to follow for like the next five years and how they wind up in the NFL. So they're all just extremely different. They're all going to be drafted very highly. And they all have severe question marks to go along with their assets. So uh, maybe we'll dive deeper on that another time. But and I'm not, and I'm not a huge CJ Stroud guy either. So I, I, yeah, you know, it's funny. He's been, yeah, he's been talked about maybe the least. It's almost like people think he's the safest pick, but but he's not good enough to to take, you know, number one. I don't know. He's going to be top five. It's it's a good like. year for the Bears to have the number one pick because they can, uh, they can Shop trade. It. Because there are, I mean, some of these the Colts in Texas are just quarterback starved, um, and and other 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 programs have needs. You know, the Falcons, Panthers, all have needs at that spot. I don't know that I just Mike wouldn't try to get by this year and uh, and and go free agency, get somebody's backup that you think will be good, and then uh, take my chances next year to draft a quarterback because it's. There's a lot of roulette that's being played at that position this year. There is every year, but this year in particular, there is a a big boomer bust uh, element to mo- just about all of these guys, in my opinion. Uh, okay, so JC, you were not with us when we did the five five and dimer segment, right? Nah, this is my first one. I'm excited. Okay, though. so we, we we've only done the one. You were out that week. 
So what this is, uh, I we all like movies. Movies. Everybody knows Hollywood's taking a step back here of late. It's hard to find a good movie. Kind of Netflix has replaced that, but just kind of classic movies on um, that have uh, gone through the kind of movies that when you see it on cable, you put the remote down and you watch the rest of the way. And I came up with five and dimer. So if it's a movie that you've seen at least five times, that's a fiver. Ten or more, that's a dimer. You know, it, or if it's just one that doesn't interest you that much, it's neither. So I, I'm going to throw out five movies. We did this last time. Let's start with Die Hard. And no, we're not going to debate whether or not it's a Christmas movie. That's way too much oxygen has been wasted on that. Uh, Die Hard, JC, Fiverr, Dimer, or none of the above? Dimer. Yeah. Dave, Michael? Dimer. Yeah. Dimer. yeah. I think that's a dimer for almost any red-blooded American male. Man, I'll be honest. I got up at like four this morning to do some work. And I just got my DoorDash order for Wendy's in. And after we get off from doing this, I'm going to go eat Wendy's and watch Die Hard. And watch Die Hard. It never gets old. You want to be in the Nakatomi building. I mean, away from gunfire. But you want to be be in the Nakatomi building. Uh, You want to, who's the guy? Hans Booby. I'm your white knight. What's that guy's name? The character. There's so many quotable lines in there. They're not all from Bruce Willis, but um, it's it's just a classic movie. So that's a dimer. Okay, Goodwill. I feel like I feel like one of the lines would be, you know, to bring it back, back to the beginning of of uh, this podcast. If we merge the Pac-12 and the ACC, and the ACC is out playing West, they'll be like, "Come out West," they said. It'll be it'll be a blast. They said, "Have a few laughs. Go have a few laughs." Yes, very nice, very nice. It was a it was a long windup, but I got you got it over the plate. I know where you're going. I do, man. <laughs> uh, by the way, Alan Rickman played Hans Gruber. He passed away in the last couple of years. You got Reginald Vell Johnson, Sergeant Al Powell. Uh, he went on to be the Carl. dad of Urkel. Carl from Family uh, Matters, yeah. Paul Gleason passed away a couple a few years ago. Paul Gleason was the the detective or whatever that was an idiot, right? Dwayne Robinson. And he was the guy that was trying to talk to Bruce Willis on the, on the CB radio and was like, oh, we don't even know if this guy's a cop. Come on, blah, blah, blah. Paul Gleason was the, was the Brooks. guy in charge of detention on the breakfast club. Yep. Great character actor. That was in a lot of John Hughes films who doesn't get enough credit for being just a brilliant screenwriter and director. So Paul Gleason's in the movie. Uh, Ellis is the guy that played. <laughs> Bachner played Ellis. And yes. I him up uh, on an earlier podcast this past football season uh his birthday was uh, during football season and he just turned 66 years old you mentioned that's well, that that was random because i i didn't get that when you said it i didn't know who hart bachner was but he plays ellis Hans, Correct. put down the gun enough with the role playing okay he, he's been in so many things like if you go through his imdb page he's in so many things and you just don't recognize him because of that particular character yeah He's, he's been in a ton of stuff uh, since then, and he actually refuses to talk about Die Hard uh, because he's like, I've done other things. I've been in so many other things. Yeah. Well, and there, there was a lot of that movie almost never had Bruce Willis in it. Bruce Willis had only been in a in a kind of a rom-com show called Moonlighting with Sybil Shepard. He was not this like action star. And when they chose him, it was kind of like, Bruce Willis from Moonlighting? He's going to be the action hero that saves the day? I'm not buying that. 
Um, there's there's a whole thing on the making of Die Hard and the casting of Die Hard and how it came together. Like a lot of good movies, is uh, uh, there was a lot of luck on the side. Let's put it that way. All right, Goodwill Hunting, JC. Neither. Never saw it or just seen it once? No, I just saw it once. Saw it uh, once. Enjoyed it. But that was uh, enough. Thought it was a good movie, but didn't wasn't wasn't blown away. Okay. Haney? Fiverr. Yeah, it's a fiver for me. Um, it's not one like it's a lot to digest. You know, it's it, heavy. It's yeah, exactly that's a good way of putting it. It's it's heavy. So like Die Hard's not heavy. <laughs> you know, you can sit there and Jason can eat his Wendy's. Maybe have a six pack, be half in the bag, and still you can follow the plot. And there's not a whole lot of heavy dialogue. It's diehard. Goodwill Hunting is is a little more on the uh, intellectual scale, I guess. Um, but it's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's one I've seen multiple times. But it, up fivers fivers for me as well. Um, and then of course launched Affleck and Damon. I always yeah. thought I always thought uh, Robin Williams was a much better serious actor than comedic actor. I got to this day. I've never seen Mrs. Doubtfire. I have no interest it, to me. It's a silly rinky dink movie. No offense um, to the people that enjoyed it. I just, I, I just said, I like, it's a diamond men, for me, man. is it really? It's, a hey, it's good. You know, he, Robin Williams shows off his range in, in the, in, in that, because he, there are some very serious moments and Pierce Brosnan's in it. Pierce, well, I and not Sally know. Field. So, nah, but it, but yeah, I, I, and I don't, I, I really don't understand why I, I'm not, I wasn't more into Goodwill Hunting. I just wasn't. I mean, because I love Robin Williams. And, but this and is the Black beauty Man of the Damon. segment. Look, if we all agreed yeah. on this, it would be boring. The fact and, that you've and seen Mini Driver Doubtfire. is hot. I, I always thought Mini Driver was strangely hot. So, I, 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 I love the me. cast. I just didn't, I, I mean, the story yeah. really, I mean, like, a beautiful mind appealed to me more than than uh than Goodwill Hunting. Good Hunting. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Uh, by the way, the the uh, oh the actor that plays on Yellowstone that plays the character everybody loves, not Kevin Costner's character, but the the, the badass. Rip. What's his name? Rip. The character Rip, played by Cole Hauser. Is that who you? Cole are? Hauser. Cole Hauser's in Goodwill Hunting. He's one of the buddies. But he's got a small. I didn't even know that until recently. I, the movie was on cable. I was like, "That's Cole Hauser." Hair color is different. Those that got his start in the uh, in the movie Days to Confused. If you go through the cast list of Days to Confused and the amount of people that came out of that movie, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, and see, for me, that was a one and doneer. Days to Confused. I'm oh, guessing I mean, for you, that's a dimer, right? Order for me, at least. Yeah, yeah. JC Days to Confused. Uh, dimer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is good. I mean, this is where we differ. I, I like that. I like that. For me, Day, I, I know where Dazed and Confused was coming from. Just, just it didn't do a whole lot for me. Couple laughs here and there. Um, and again, I know that I'm going to be shamed by people listening at Morgan on air on Twitter. Go ahead, give it to me. I did not see Mrs. Doubtfire. I never have. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, going back a ways, 48 hours. Murphy, Nolte, the movie that put Eddie Murphy on the map. Michael. Neither, neither for me. Never saw it. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces, and I oh can my goodness, tell you that I have not seen Forty Eight Hours from start to finish. I you actually, get on me for not seeing the program, but you haven't seen Forty Eight Hours. Another, another Forty Eight Hours more than I've seen the original Forty Eight. Oh, hours. oh, that's like no, you, 
you don't want to. That's like saying I've I've seen Godfather three, but I didn't see the first two. No, don't <laughs> don't judge it on don't judge it on another forty eight hours. That's a that's a money grab, a garbage plot, bad acting, overweight Eddie. No, see the first one. It it is a classic. That is a that's a quarter. Yeah, I I I can't tell you how many times I've seen forty eight hours. JC. Yeah, it's it, it would be a fiver for me just because. I, I like so many of the old Eddie Murphy movies, Trading Places. Uh, Another classic. You know, you, you could even get into some of the other uh, comedians of the day, like Richard Pryor, and go with Brewster's Millions or The Toy or uh, all the, the Toy would have been canceled cops. the moment they had a preview. Oh, my today. God. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Jesus. That movie got away with bloody murder. But, uh, you know, all those movies back then, and it's just it's just kind of a matter of allotting my resources with 1980s comedy into why I hadn't seen it more, but I absolutely love the movie. All so, right, yeah, homework assignment, Michael Haney, go see 48 Hours, J.C. Sherbert, go see 48 Hours. Uh, uh, I don't think, J.C., you could play Nick Nolte's character. You've done a little bit of Probably. acting. I could yeah. see you, look, Reggie, uh, I'm sorry about all that. Look, I could Reggie, see you pulling that off. I'm that's sorry. Crazy. Yeah, Nick Nolte kind of talks. And talks the, like the infamous the infamous Eddie Murphy in the redneck bar scene is like cinematic gold. Yes. Cinematic gold. The Nick uh, Nolte stuff uh, reminds me of one of Patton Oswalt's old stand-up bits where he, he talks about all of the actors that auditioned for Han Solo in Star Wars. Right, and right. Those and he's like, yeah, I could just imagine Nick Nolte being Han Solo. Just got a utility belt of cigarettes and beer can. Ah, hell, Chewbacca ain't got a whatever, princess. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, Chewy. (laughs) You wonder if Nolte's even like acting. He he seems like a train wreck in real life. He uh, was most recently, uh, there is a wonderful new show on Peacock uh, starring Natasha Leone, which is basically, it's called Poker Face, and Nick Nolte is in one of the more recent episodes of that. So uh, check out that show if you... Uh, he's, he's also 82 years old, so let's just give him a little bit of a freaking break here. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't 82 when he filled 48 hours. That was nah, 40 he looked like ass too, you know, yeah. yeah. Properly, <laughs> By the way, you know... This is a a football podcast. Nick Nolte was in one of the most famous. Now it was before all of us were old enough to even see it, uh, or even born in some cases. But North Dallas Forty is a f- American football film classic, one of the first of its kind, and he played the wide receiver for Dallas. That's a fiver for me. I've seen that? I wish it was a fiver for me. You know, I've only seen it like twice um, on cable, and. And I, I, I mean, the whole premise is it's basically, it's almost like a mockumentary on the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, my right? older brother loved that that movie, so that's I yeah. have credit for the reason I've seen it as many times. Because let's face it, most football movies are dog, you know what? They're they're not realistic. They're kind of hokey. They're not well shot. Like I'll give you a, a hot take. Some people want to rake me over the coals for this. I didn't think on, on any given Sunday was very good. The Oliver I mean, Stone really, film with Pacino. It really wasn't. I mean, it was it was fine. It was just so look. over the top. It was just, and I love Pacino, but I, I just wasn't buying any of it. I but like the way Oliver Stone makes movies, so I liked it for that reason, but as like a football, like a realistic football movie, nah, it's kind of a tired plot too. Yeah, 
Yeah. Stone and I got, and I'm an Oliver Stone guy. Well, I, I was an Oliver Stone guy. Like Oliver Stone had a stretch platoon, yeah. Wall Street, JFK. And I'm missing one other. He had a stretch there in like a five year span. Did he do Fourth of July? Born on the Fourth of July. There's there's very few directors that have ever put together that kind of stretch. Yeah. And then came Natural Born Killers, which was just I don't know how high he was when he wrote it. Um, that was a complete dud, and I don't know if Oliver's done anything worthwhile since then. It's almost like a musician that has a great couple of albums and they fall off the face of the earth. And then for the next 40 years of their life, they keep playing the same songs from those two albums. Usually directors don't have that. Usually directors keep doing stuff. But Stone went from everything he he churned out was Oscar material and then nosedive, which is hard to understand for me. Um, Two more. No, one more. Two more. Karate Kid. Dimer, easy. Dimer for me. JC. Karate Kid. Yeah. Neither. That one you're time. not gonna say you never saw it. One time. One time. I saw part one, one time, part two, one time. And I know how you feel about part three. Part so three is a disgrace. Yes. Disgrace. Uh like the the Peter Cetera song, the soundtrack in uh, I guess part two, but <laughs> still, still jam the best to that around. sometimes. But I'm just like I used not. to work out to you're the best around, which is one. You just admit that. I, I, That's awesome. you. I admit that I had it you're on a I had it on a mixtape. Oh yeah, I don't know, man. I I I get my reps in for that. I wasn't. I was wanting a big uh, Karate Kid guy, and, and so I haven't watched okay. the like Nat. My my fiance loves the. Whatever that TV series is, the Cobra Kai. Kai. My buddies yeah, talk about it, like how great it is. I hadn't gotten yeah. into it, but sometimes I don't watch. Guys, sometimes I'm like not into things, and then I'll I'll, I'll get into it late. I did that with Entourage, and I'll right. announce like one of my favorite things ever. So that, that's just kind of how I roll. The, the thing about the Cobra Kai stuff is that it's very self aware, and it's not. It does not take itself seriously. Like the the fact that they're all involved in it and and i think that's why i enjoy it so much it's it's hokey with uh it's hokey in a good way and i they don't take themselves too seriously with that and that's uh, i always love stuff like that that's self-aware so i think they they did a really good job with the cobra kai series and and expanding that world and that universe you know what the director is famous for rocky Hmm. Ah. look at look it up little known fact the, the guy who directed the Rocky series, what's his name, Adelson or something, he he's the one that came up with Karate Kid. And if you watch the movie closely, you know, next next level nerd, uh, you'll see some Rocky parallels oh, to the wow. movie. Just just a, just an FYI, I got I got Haney googling it now. <laughs> he's like, how do I not know that? Damn it, Morgan. All right, um, go ahead. What you got? Oh, no, that's okay. I thought you were going to bring another factoid in there after you did your Google search there. All right. Final one taken. Dimer. Uh, What I have is a unique set of skills. I mean, I've probably said that line more than I've seen the movie. Um, I I might it might be five like a fiver. I think I might have just gotten across the line of a fiver. But that's how I am. I'm I'm flirting with fiver, but I, I don't love the movie. It's one of those when it's on, if you catch it at the right time, it's hard to just turn it off. But I, can I sit here and recommend it 
to our pal JC, who I'm judging by your look has maybe never even seen it. It's it's okay. Oh no, it's a dimer for me. He, he oh, it's a dimer. Oh, I I misread you. I, I thought you were shaking your head like neither. You thought he said neither or something? Yeah. I thought yeah, I thought he said a dimer that. sounds like neither. You know. Okay. A very specific so, set of skills. All right, so we know JC likes Mrs. Doubtfire and Taken. <laughs> he's, he's, I love it. I love it. So you are binging on on uh, a guy in a dress and a guy who's constantly his daughter is constantly getting kidnapped for some reason. Yeah. I and mean, they keep traveling overseas. Taken you know now, Taken the, three is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. It's like Karate Kid three. It's so it bad. It's so, so it's they, like they enough. Just, ran completely out of material and yes and it, and then the, it was almost like they, they were on a deadline and they had to finish the script so the ending is just <laughs> preposterously bad you know i mean so anyway yeah that's, that's about right jc you, you said loves mrs Doubtfire and loves taken you know what those two movies have in common a father doing whatever the hell he's got to do to take care of his kids that's true i never who, thought i can't that respect way. that who can't Sweet. respect that? That's that's uh that's a that's a good way to put a bow on on the movies and uh and the five and dimer. We'll do that uh we'll do that next time here on JC and Morgan as we try to have a little lighthearted moment or two toward the end of these, particularly in the off season. All right, deep dive as I mentioned, we're not gonna, we're going to also do this uh outside the box. I didn't mention heat. Can we all agree heat's a dimer? Yeah, yeah, that's one of those. If it's on, you're watching. If I can't find Die Hard, I'm watching Heat. Yeah, Heat is just freaking fantastic. Pacino and De Niro and John Voight. and and There is now a uh, sequel uh, that is coming out. Um, No, come on. There there actually is a uh, a book that was written with Michael Mann, uh, the the original director of Heat. But uh, Michelle Gardner is a fantastic novelist, and she's done a a lot of great work with an unsub series and does a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of crime novels but heat 2 is already out as a book and that is being made into a movie and following up on the stories of of some of those characters with michael mann's blessing well, so we, yes that will be a thing okay i mean de niro we're we're assuming he died at the end of the movie so that character's out i guess pacino you're not getting pacino in heat kilmer two. died val kilmer died too. kilmer died didn't size more oh, yes his I, I, character? Hope, I hope they don't pick up the story of the 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 crazy stepdaughter and and that's just not Natalie Portman. Yeah, that's just not the story that I'm interested in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Liam Neeson has a new character. He he eats a dimer and then some. But yeah. uh, Tom Sizemore played a role in that movie. He just passed away. So deep mm-hmm. dive on Tom Sizemore, who we we started thinking about it. Like this guy's been in some really good movies. Uh, he, he got his big break in Saving Private Ryan. A lot of young actors got their big break in Saving Private Private Ryan. Um, and then you you think of him in Heat. Uh, there's another uh, Sylvester Stallone movie that's actually not that bad called Lockup. He's like his partner in crime when they're in the cell in uh, in Lockup. He was in Black Hawk Down. Um, he was in Point Break. He, that's right. He was in Point Break which I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen the whole movie all the way through. So that's neither a five or what? I know, I know, what? I know. I, I I probably take more crap for that than I do any movie that I Jeez. haven't seen. Um, He was in, let's see, 
Blue Steel. But Wyatt Point Earp. Break. What's that? Wyatt Earp. He's in Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. Uh, he's in one of my like my all time my sleeper movie of all times. A movie called Strange Days with Ray Fiennes, Angela Bassett, and Juliette Lewis, and Tom Sizemore. And, my man Michael Wincott. It, it's directed by Catherine Bigelow, who did Hurt Locker and uh used to be married to James Cameron. And she uh her and James Cameron co-wrote it. It's, it's like a futuristic thing. It was filmed in 1995 about the year 2000, really well shot. But hmm. he's in that one. Uh he's in Get Carter. <laughs> Never uh, saw that one. He was uh you know, like you mentioned, Skagnetti and Natural Born Killers, which, mm-hmm. which was popular. Um, he was in he one started, episode of Entourage. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he, you know, then his career, you know, he had some problems that he, he started doing a lot of movies that we've never heard of. <laughs> yeah. You look, yeah. You look at like the last 20 and it's like, where, where uh, were these, where, where were these shown? Yeah. So, uh, but he was a, he was a really good actor. I played a lot of good roles. Uh, everything from like the, the evil, like he, he was kind of the same guy in all of his roles, but his characters balanced back and forth. He was either like the good guy that acted tough or like the bad guy that you thought was good, but you didn't trust. Like yeah, he just about everything. Hardcore. Yeah. Like, oh, like he was kind of hardcore. You didn't want to pick a fight with him in a bar. Uh, yeah. and it goes, it goes to a reason he was born in Detroit back in 1961. Uh, and then he, he didn't have like a, uh, a, a typical path to, to acting. You know, I mentioned that he got his big break, uh, born on well, the big, the first break was born on the 4th of July. I forgot about that. He was the guy in Mexico in the wheelchair that was, uh, part of that uh, group that was up to no good with Tom Cruise when he kind of just went over the edge. Um, but he just, he just continued to, to, to churn out movies and had a really good run. And he, I, I some, there's some guys that just kind of jump off the screen. Like when Tom size, when he, when Sizemore showed up on camera, I was like, Oh my goodness, this is Tom Sizemore. Like he just, he had presence is what I'm trying to say. He had presence, but yeah, you look at the last like 15, 20 movies and it's, Bullet Train yeah. Down, Project Skyquake, um, Damon's Revenge. Like these aren't even straight to video. So, some of those are movies, and I know this because I have a mutual friend, uh, or a mutual mutual friend. Let's just say that uh, it's two degrees to Tom Sizemore with J.C. Sherbert here, but uh, <laughs> he left me a Christmas voicemail one time. It's kind of neat, but because um, I've always admired him or whatever, but. Uh, my understanding is some of these movies he was doing are movies that they make in LA to distribute in Japan. They're no. American movies that they dub over. Yeah. So that, that, that's probably some of, of what Hey, happened. this podcast is big in Japan. I'm not going to knock it. Yeah, no we're, we're killing it. in uh, Tokyo. JC and Morgan. Oh, you know, Japanese <laughs> is really an aggressive voice, <laughs> yes. uh, but it, uh, I'll say this right now, uh, you know, uh, uh, about, uh, I should forget what I was going to say. Anyway, I was talking about Tom Sizemore in Japan and then I, I lost it, but, uh, well, he died at 61. Yeah. Died and, at 61. Uh, you, you, you can't say you were totally surprised cause he had a lot of issues with uh, oh, drugs yeah, and alcohol stuff. and all that oh, good stuff. Oh, by the way, that's what I was gonna, he's a Michigan state Spartan. 
Well, yeah, he was born Smarty. in Detroit. Yeah. Went to Michigan State and That's also right. went to Temple. So, um, and Wayne State. So, went to three different colleges. That's awesome. There's probably a story within that as well. Michael, any closing thoughts on our buddy Tom Sizemore? No, just that he was he was great in heat, and I and I do know that obviously all those roles that you guys mentioned, it was very tragic though the the way that he uh, sort of got addicted to a lot of things and, and and the substances and had so many issues and health problems that uh, that led to dying, you know, way younger than a guy of his stature probably should have. So uh, that's that's my only thing. I think it's really tragic uh, because he was a talented actor. He was a and a, a hell of a uh, guy in a lot of projects that were that are timeless, but, um, right. Just haven't really seen him or been, you know, he's been part of the mainstream or, or been out in, in public for a long time. So for me, his ultimate line in heat, when they're talking about, should they go for another bank robbery? And De Niro's like, look, I mean, if we do it, you know, there's, there's a lot of millions, you know, you got to do what you got to do, but you, you got, you got, you got your wife, you got a, you got stuff tucked away. I don't know if it's really worth it. I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze. And he goes, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. That's Tom yeah. Sizemore. And that's he also how, had one that said, bad day, F it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I say that to myself a lot. Yeah, uh, I think we all do. I think yeah. we I think we all do. It helps us get through There's life. a little Tom Sizemore in all of us, folks. There's a little Tom Sizemore in all of us. Uh, I, I couldn't think of a better way to end this podcast. Gentlemen, it's been fun. It's good to have you back, Haney, from another uh, tour. And hopefully we'll have you back consistently here the rest of the way. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. It's good to be back. Good to be back, JC. Stay warm in Chi-Town. And uh, for everybody out there tuning in, as always, we appreciate it. Should we mention the website yet? Should we throw that out there? Well, it's yeah, still... it's barely, barely. Well, this is still under construction. Okay, but still under if construction. You're, if you're looking to find the podcast and all the back episodes and don't want to go to Apple or whatever, you can go to jcandmorgan.com and check it out. And there is a contact form there that you can – uh, send and uh, we can contact you and who knows maybe we'll maybe we'll read one or two questions uh, in an episode here shortly but yeah jcandmorgan.com is the website. Just leave your address maybe we'll show up at your house and record yeah, the podcast we'll there. We'll do yeah, it live! Not? We'll do it live in the kitchen. Take all your food and beer in the process. Uh, thanks to everybody tuning in. We will see you a week from now for JC, for Michael Haney. This is Mike Morgan saying so long. Thanks again for tuning in to JC and Morgan.